everybody. Do you like getting stoned and watching a movie? Or just watching a movie? Well, then check out our podcast, I Am Weed, where we and a guest go to the movies and discuss it after. A movie review podcast with a little token twist. Get it? Oh, boy. But hey, you don't have to smoke weed to enjoy this podcast. Uh, you should enjoy watching movies, though. Subscribe to I Am Weed on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein. Today, we have to, um, we have to clear the air. Um, I just want to apologize first and foremost for not putting an ap- out an episode in over a month. It's been over a month, and I know you guys miss it. Um, I miss it. I miss doing it. Uh, so I apologize. Sketch has become a big part of my life, and uh, it's hard to juggle all the many things that are going on. But I will succeed. I will prevail. Um, so Charlie, this one, this episode is especially for you. Um, I wanted to thank those who left iTunes feedback. It was only one person, but Winston Carter, thank you so much for leaving me iTunes feedback. Everybody should go subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. Uh, We do that for whatever reason, uh, but I just want you to. That'd be very cool to help me know that you guys appreciate it and that I should stop being a jerk and make more episodes. Um, You know what? I think that's about it. I don't have any shows to plug. I don't have any uh, exciting news, I don't think, I don't know, oh, you guys should stay tuned, uh, coming up, yeah, I got a lot of cool guests coming up, um, and unfortunately it's just impossible to book with all you wonderful, busy improvisers. Anyway, that's it, Improv Obsession, here we go. It's the Improv Obsession Podcast, it's the Improv Obsession Podcast, it's the Alright, hey everybody, welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pearlstein. Today, guests sitting in my living room, Craig Lukowski. Craig, hi. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? It's good to be here. Really? You happy? It is. Good. I'm, I've already been told that I'm your best guest ever. Yeah, you brought pastries. I brought pastries. Uh, yeah, I... I don't. I don't need to do this podcast. In fact, I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw this one. I guess I'm just <laughs> not gonna real tr- really try. Just tank it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and really, I trust that you'll be able to come up with all kinds of interesting improv wisdom. I don't have to do anything. I'm, I oh, feel like man. I'm gonna pitch you I just like so. a general question, <clears throat> and it's gonna go crazy. Because yeah, I took I, I took your class. Um, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was very recently. Very recently, as like a few weeks ago, uh, and I posted. Like a ton of notes from your class on, on my blog because I thought so much of it was really interesting. And um, somebody asked me, another coach they have uh, asked me, like, oh, what's a, that class like? And I'm like, uh, I don't, it's weird because Craig just says uh, nothing but improv gems. Like, I felt like everything was really worth writing down. Uh, so you can read all that. That's the, the gold, right? just solid gold pouring <laughs> out of my mouth the whole time. No scenes. Uh-uh. No, no, we didn't do that. I was just, I was just listening and, yeah, did, didn't do a single scene, and that's fine. <laughs> Um, so I feel like people kind of know who you are, but I, I'm going to maybe defer to you. Can you kind of introduce yourself a little bit of like sure. your improv, maybe your improv credentials or something okay. like that? Okay. All know. right. I, I didn't know I'd have to prove my credentials just to get on the podcast. Well, like, I don't know. Cause like, yeah, I'm always worried that people don't know the guests. And, sure. Yeah. I mean, I know. Yeah. My name's uh, Craig Kukowski. I've been improvising for about 23 years. Fuck. Um, it's almost almost my whole life. <laughs> Very close to twenty three years. <laughs> I started in college at the College of William and Mary in uh, Virginia. 
Okay. Uh, there's a long-standing improv group there called IT or IT. And uh, it turned out a lot of uh, alums, yep. many of whom have gravitated to Chicago. And uh, I started studying at the Improv Olympic in the early 90s in Chicago. Uh, I studied with Sharna Halpern and Del Close there. Uh, played on a bunch of teams there. I also worked for Second City while I was in Chicago. Been in L.A. for about 10 years now. I teach at I.O. West mostly. I have taught for Second City. I play at I.O. West mostly. I also play at UCB in Second City occasionally. There you go. Busy man. Um, okay, so 20, 23 years of doing improv. Um, I'm on my second and a half year. So, about ten times as much experience. Um, what? Hopefully it'll show today's podcast. <laughs> I, think it, I, think, I think I'll just show how little I know. Um, what, what, it, like, what is an improv career like for that long? Because I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. Because like, uh, I feel like going through improv is like... There's a lot of ups and downs and, and mood swings and like I love improv at the end of the day, but it's like a weird relationship where you're like, you love it, but like, God, sometimes, <laughs> ooh. <laughs> I think it stabilizes after a while. Oh, thank God. Once you get in, you know, maybe about year 15. <laughs> <laughs> 12 and a half years, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's still ups and downs, but they're not as wild. Yeah. Um, especially the lows are not as low. The yeah. depression about doing a bad show or a bad scene doesn't last as long. Your frustration uh, about just petty improv shit doesn't uh, carry over as much. I think generally you just get more comfortable in your own skin. You get more comfortable about your own abilities. And probably at that point you're only playing with people that you've played with a lot anyway. Right. Uh, so you just have that... Uh, comfort level when you take the stage though I still try to do shows with people I don't know as well or just things that scare me a little bit yeah. uh, because you don't want to ever get too complacent or comfortable with it Yeah, uh, I feel like the generation right before me uh, of Chicago improvisers was kind of the first generation that never stopped improvising at a high level. Okay. Because I, I remember my early days in Chicago, there'd be famous people like Second City people. They'd come back to do a set, but they were like movie or TV stars. And it was clear they hadn't improvised in a while. Mm -hmm. And they were really nervous about it. Uh, and they were either just like hanging back politely or kind of pulling out the bag of tricks or just really trying to please the audience. Um, and I think the generation right before me, which is like um, UCB founders like Besser and uh, Ian, and uh, then people like Dave Keckner, Brian Stack, Kevin Dorf, those people, even though they've worked in TV and films, they've kept improvising uh, at the highest level all that time. They never really took so much time off of it for their chops right. to get rusty. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I, yeah, I sort of wonder about that because, yeah, you see, like I see Keckner does shows and I've never actually seen him. Um, but uh, I have to wonder, I'm like, oh, he's out doing stuff. I wonder if it's still, like, sharp. Because I feel, I feel like sometimes when I take, like when we, do, when I have, you know, we practices get canceled a couple times in a row, I'm like, am I, do I know how to do this anymore? <laughs> uh, uh, and, that's stress, and, and that's just a weird stress that I have. Um, but I, yeah, I, I want. I kind of wonder about that. But you're, so you're saying uh, you're kind of one of the early generations of people who kind of kept doing it constantly. Yeah, you couldn't I, stop. I, I doubt <laughs> that in the last 23 years that I've gone two weeks without doing a show or a rehearsal or a class. Wow. So you know, maybe I've taken a two week vacation oh. at some point. But other than that, it's been constantly in my life. That so. sounds nice. I love it. 
Um, you, you said uh, just a minute ago. You said uh, he's trying to still do stuff uh, that, that's scary, uh, and uh, I feel like I'm trying to do that myself, uh, and I and I don't I don't know why I'm doing it, but I feel like it's important. Like I've been uh, I've I've went out and I auditioned for a musical improv team. I've never done a musical improv, but I'm like. Auditions are tough as shit. Yeah. Uh, and I've never done musical improv. I sort of know what it's like. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I did terrible. I did really good improv. And the music was awful. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm curious. Like, why, why is um, kind of scaring yourself maybe a thing? Well, I think it's just kind of... Uh, it just goes with the territory of being an improviser in general. Of Like, improv is a high-risk, high-reward art form. Uh, and the safer you stay, the more boring you're guaranteed to be. Yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, and I think for students early on in the process, they really want to stay safe, most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to fuck up. They don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to look foolish. They don't want to be vulnerable. So they tend to stay in a very safe place. Yeah. And I think the danger for a veteran improviser is you just kind of get to the point where it's like, I got this. I know how yeah. to do this. You know, People love me. I'm always funny every time I get out there. It's like one of the most dangerous places to get to is the place where you're always funny. You're at. <laughs> you know? And that, that sounds like that's the goal. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I'd love to get to that point where everything I did and said was funny and the audience always enjoys me every time I go out there. Yeah. I think that's where complacency tends to set in. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you just still got to keep pushing and challenging yourself and kind of test your boundaries. And if I am not a little scared before a show, that's when I should be worried. Yeah. I, li- I like to be a little nervous and scared when I do a show. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I think that it's interesting because like you, uh, you said you said in our class at one point, if you improvise with the same people a lot of times, you've got to do something sometimes that's different than what you do to sort of scare sort of scare them almost. Like, oh, I'm not used to seeing Craig do blank. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of changes the energy. And I feel like the same thing can kind of be said of the audience too because I feel like I've fallen in love with teams and then sort of like, oh, guys, you're not doing anything new. And I've been in, I've been in the same scenario where, I'm like, I, I, in fact, I left the team, which who cares, but I, I left the team because I was like, uh, we're not. We're just. We're 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 really comfortable with this thing that we do, and we're good at it. But like, we've been doing it for months. Mm-hmm. Let's try something different. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the same thing can be said for an audience. Like they want. I think they want the novelty of it, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely. I call it like like keeping the marriage fresh. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's a boredom that sets in with like sleeping with the same person over and over. You know. <laughs> so uh, and how's, your, how's your marriage going? By the uh, way, three weeks. Three weeks into the marriage. Really good. Uh, <laughs> we're keeping it fresh so Keep far. Ready. I don't want to get into any more details That's about fine. that, That's but fine. yeah, <laughs> been married for three weeks now. Uh, so yeah, you, you got to keep it fresh, and I I always say that you really need to see an improviser and an improv team like three times as an audience member before you really have a sense of what they do. Because I remember having, uh, when I first started as a student, just thinking some people were amazing. And then I'll go back and see them the next week and be like, oh, he's doing that same thing yeah. that he does. And then there's other people who didn't really make much of an impression on me until I began to see them multiple times yeah. and had a sense of their versatility, you know, of like, yeah. oh, maybe he was just kind of hanging back that first show. Or, uh, wow, he can play... A Aggressive, and he can play vulnerable. He can play high status. He can play low status. You know, yeah. some people sneak up on you a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I I always find more and more like some of the people I really get impressed by are the people who I feel like play subtly. Like I don't notice how funny they're being. Yeah, uh, and, and yeah, like 
I, I, yeah, I felt that too. Like, oh, this guy's got a got a thing that he does, and he knows how to get laughs out of that thing. Yeah. But yeah, that that uh, that that like the uh, there's a Chris Kula. I don't know if he's a, UC, a UCB guy in the smokes. Uh, I always I always see him. He's like very. He'll just kind of just very like casually throw in a thing, and it's like, oh, that's really funny. And you set up a lot of funny stuff, and it's just no credit received for it almost. Uh, and that and that's always a. Uh, uh, an impressive skill to me. That's yeah, yeah. I, I know Chris Cool. He's really funny, yeah. and uh, those are the type of players I really like. Yeah. Uh, who are actually totally driving the scene, but yeah. not in a way that's perceptible to the audience in any way. Yeah. Um, how, how does how do you do that? <laughs> uh, because uh, I. Uh, I, I personally feel like uh, I've always thought of myself as a funny person. And when I started doing improv, I was like, oh, I'm not a funny person because there's a lot of funny people around. Um, but when I I, fe- I feel like when I find comedy in scenes, uh, I'm I'm apt to take it. I'm apt to like go like, oh, this is I'm going to get the laugh off of this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I mean, where does where does that where does that go away or how, <laughs> how, does, how does that make that go away? Because I, I don't know if that's entirely a fault, but it is selfish. Yeah, maybe year 12, you'll start to... Uh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, it was drilled into our head in the early days uh, in Chicago, uh, in Dell's class. And then, you know, my coaches were... My first coaches were Adam McKay and Ian Roberts. And then my next coach for, like, two years was Matt Besser. And then I had uh, Pete Gardner uh, after that. So I, I had really wonderful people they'd all been trained by Dell and then I was also studying with Dell mm-hmm. so the whole thing of uh, of don't try to be funny don't go for jokes was really drained uh, into my head yeah um, though of course we still did you know uh, you tr- you know and even things that aren't uh, jokes per se but anything for improv purposes I would consider anything that's designed to get an immediate reaction out of the audience. And that would include maybe just cursing or doing something shocking or just making a big move of any sort, Mm -hmm. doing something unexpected, Um, anything that you're doing just to hear that response immediately from the audience could be considered a joke, I think. So I I think, and I, I, it took me a few years to just kind of work that out of my system and know that I wasn't going to take the easy path because I, I found when I was taking the easy path that the scene would tend to burn itself out quickly. Yeah. Of like, it felt like the right move in the moment. It got the big laugh in the moment, but then the scene was fucked. There was nothing else to do yeah. after that. And I think especially in the type of shows that I do the most, which is like the quartet or Dasariski thing where it's uh, three people or four people doing 45 minutes to an hour, uh, we had to figure out a way to make sustainable choices, choices that were going to be for the long haul. So I right. think now I'm probably trained to do that to a fault. Mm-hmm. Like when yeah. I do uh, ask Kat, uh, there is you know more of a feeling of having to produce the funny yeah. uh, right away. And my muscles aren't as sharp in that area. Or I think I talked about doing... Uh, trust us with your life in class like somebody asked me about that and that's similar of like even a shorter time frame to like produce of like yeah. you're talking about a minute and a half to a two minute short form game yeah. where you've got to fucking deliver yeah. right then and there and I liked the challenge of doing that yeah. and I think I was okay at doing that but it's not in my wheelhouse the way it is for a Wayne Brady or a Colin Mockery you know well one day you'll get there yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah I yeah, it, it's funny. Like, it, 
considering jokes, I think that, yeah, like that, that is very much ingrained in like what I do now. We did, uh, in the, in the class that we did, you said something, I wasn't in the scene and I was sitting off the side with Charlie, uh, and you asked for, you asked for four people to come out and start a scene. Mm-hmm. And then five people came out and started a scene. And I said, I would start the scene with the line, I'm glad all five of us are here. Uh, and that's not a joke, but that's just for everybody else to know, like, well, we did this wrong, guys. And that's such a shitty like, mentality, but I'd be so, I would, there was no, there was, there's literally nothing else I would have said in that whole, I would be like, oh, that's five of us here. Uh, uh, and so really, I just, I just wanted to say that I, I make jokes too much. I'm trying to, trying to break myself of it. it. Well, I think there's another thing I said in class, which is I consider comedy to be a byproduct of doing improv right. Yeah. You know, and you just have to trust that comedy is going to result. And I think when people uh, start improvising, they don't trust that comedy is going to result. And so they try to do comedy as much as possible rather than try to do all the things that make a scene last and make a scene rich. And all of those things, you know, a lot of what makes an audience laugh is just built into the nature of the art form, knowing that it's spontaneous. Yeah. I think uh, I'm, I'm starting to think more and more that improv, uh, because you in this class you said uh, cleverness and wit are only going to count for about five percent of your laughs. Um, that was really interesting. But I think more and more what I'm coming to the conclusion of is that really good improv, maybe or or long form improv, kind of how you do it, or maybe the slower paced teams, teams do it. Uh, I don't know. That sounds weird, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, is is just delivering on what a scene would be, and it's not. It's it's sometimes it's less about being funny. It's like oh, like you can like a, it's the phenomenon I talked about before. Is like you can get a laugh off of naming somebody, um, and it's just because you name somebody appropriately. Mm-hmm. And it, that's not. It's not like the, you know the name like Janelle isn't funny, but you're like oh that kind of fits it. This girl would be a Janelle. Yeah, uh, and I feel the like audience loves what, that when that happens. Yeah. They really do. And I, I mean, I don't know. What do you, so, yeah, I guess if, if 5% of it is cleverness and wit, then, like, what is it that's the funny part? <laughs> well, a lot of it is just delivering on what you promised to the audience. Yeah. And, and that holds true whether you're playing short form. Short form is about the gimmick, you know? Yeah. So, of like, if you're doing an ABC game, you promise the audience you're going to alternate lines of dialogue starting with A, then B, then C. you got to deliver on that gimmick. Yeah. And part of it is the parlor trick of, are we doing that correctly? Now, hopefully a good scene will result as well, but you've got to do the gimmick first when you do short form. Right. Um, if you're talking about shorter and faster kind of game-based long form, mm-hmm. uh, it's either delivering on the premise that you initiated with, Mm -hmm. which has some sort of connection to the opening or the monologue, and so the audience can see that connection of like, oh, that's right, the monologist said that thing, Uh, I get his premise with the initiation, and then can uh, that improviser and his or her partner deliver on the premise that was delivered there? Or if you're creating Mm -hmm. a game organically, can you pick up on the the weird thing that the audience noticed and make the weird thing important somehow? Yeah. And when you talk about Dasarisky, um, it's going to be more relationship and character based. Can we remain true to those characters as we define them to the audience in the early moments and then just keep doing those characters and those relationships more? And can we keep juggling all the different things that we set up? Yeah. So, okay, so 
that, <laughs> easier said than done. It is. It is. Uh, and it, I think it's just it's interesting to think about because a lot of it for for what is a what is a uh, comedic art form ninety nine percent of it uh, is it, it's it seems like comedy in itself is sort of taking a back seat. Like I feel like premise sometimes premise and game uh, are are the the closest things to like. Uh, the funny things to me, mm-hmm. but that's still not all of it. And 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 you could argue that some institutions don't have any interest in, you know, funny premises or games. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, I, did, I did one where it was like I was a I was a dinosaur and I had a job and like it was like well and it was like what's dinosaur like in the modern world like doing when he types and yeah just screeches a lot like uh, and that that's delivering on a premise or in the, yeah. like a game and following that and that's like sort of I guess the closest to a, a funny thing. But it's still it's still kind of like separate from the reality, I guess. Yeah. Well, people are also going to laugh at commitment yeah. and energy. They want to feel taken care of. They don't want to feel worried for you. So you know, audiences are like predators. They can smell fear. Yes. So if they see an improviser who is hesitant or fearful, they will be more worried for you than enjoying you. Uh, so they want to see people who look confident and comfortable up there. So just somebody delivering a line of dialogue with confidence counts a lot in in improv um and uh commitments energy sticking to your guns making sure you're topping what is already out there doing more yeah Uh, audiences love specificity uh because it activates their imagination uh, they're going to see two people who are wearing jeans on a blank stage with a couple of chairs. What you want them to see, you know, is a uh, little cafe in Little Italy and uh, a mobster in a pinstripe suit and a bowler hat uh, sipping in a, a cappuccino, you know. Yeah. So if that's what's taking place in your scene, you want your audience to be able to visualize that. Yeah. And it's amazing how many laughs you'll get in improv from accurate object work. Um, just anything that makes it more real to you will make it more real to the audience. And they laugh at that recognition of it's coming to life for them somehow. Yeah. That hmm. I'm thinking about this because so then, so then improv, like, is it, is that why it's, it's the art form that makes that funny? It's not, I feel like it's maybe not funny. It's like, Maybe improv isn't as funny as we think it is, uh, and I really and I really love improv. But it's like when you go and explain somebody, like, "Oh, I had a really funny show," yeah, and then like you tell them the things that happened, they're like, "Uh huh, yeah, cool." <laughs> if you were to read a transcription of the funniest improv show of all time, yeah. most of it would not pop off the page as right. funny. Uh, you'd have to see it in the context of you know how were things said. <laughs> um, I taught a workshop in uh, Dallas a couple months ago. I don't know if I mentioned this in class. Uh, and we were doing those uh, those scripted scenes, oh, yeah. uh, which is one of my exercises that I love doing the most, which is where you tell the you tell these students, um, yeah, uh, rather than improvising, we're going to do some of those classic scenes from plays that you guys memorized last week. Uh, so you guys are going to do the stakeout scene from the Zimmerman incident. It's one of the greatest scenes of contemporary theater. And so it's kind of tricking the brain into believing that you're doing a scripted scene when, as a matter of fact, you're just improvising it. Mm-hmm. And we also do it with kind of the lights up and fading the lights out and taking a bow at the end so it feels a little more theatrical. Yeah. And those scenes are usually hilarious. Um, and in this workshop in Dallas, I was doing that exercise, 
and this one guy had a line of dialogue that like I swear to God we laughed for five minutes straight like people pounding the floor <laughs> crying yeah uh, like one of the funniest moments I've ever had the line of dialogue he had was is that possible the three words is that possible was what he said <laughs> and that and so I won't bore you so and I don't excited. even remember what the context was at this point you yeah. know uh, so you have to trust that within the context of this five six minute scene and the characters that were being played in it and the personalities of the improvisers that that happened to be the perfect thing to say at that time in yeah. it brought the house down so that's why you know i recommend not going for jokes because you never know what your laugh uh is actually going to come from and a lot of your biggest laughs just come from the character uh or the improviser just reacting organically in the moment to what's happening and saying the honest thing uh in the moment yeah um what's uh i totally agree with that and you're right but where I think where the problem lies in that um, is in, in doing it uh, is, and this is something I was actually going to talk about too. So great uh, is when people when you're doing a scene and you're like you're trying to trust it and trying to sit in it and trying to get there. Uh, I feel I feel like that doesn't work sometimes. And, sure. And I think the reason it, <laughs> I think I, if I if I had to guess I, I think it's it just becomes uh, it's it's all I think it all has to do with big scenes. I think that's where. A lot of the scenes when you're trying to like really, we're trying to get there. We're yeah. trying to build it. Is is like when somebody will just say, "What's that all about?" And you're, you're here that it, it is what, uh, us. Like you know, it's it's very it's very vague. Yeah. Um, and I feel so. And it's like it's almost impossible to build those. Or maybe it is just from my perspective. Well. You know how I hate pronouns. I say that pronouns are the enemy of improv. So oh, okay. whenever you use a pronoun, you've got to supply the antecedent to that pronoun, the noun that it represents as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, vagueness is just not going to help you. Again, specifics are what activate the imagination. Yeah. So your job in the early moments of the scene is to get your... Uh, your partner's imagination flowing and you never know what specific you might say that might get your partner jazzed and excited to do the scene. But I feel like when people start vague, uh, then then they'll go for a joke later to just to make something happen because yeah. they, they feel that That's... need to produce an instant result. Yeah. Um, and I recommend for my students to err on the side of too much exposition or being too clear, <laughs> even if it comes out in a heavy-handed or ham-fisted way, uh, like uh, particularly in a class, you might be overrising with somebody you've never met before that evening's class. Like they're not going to read your mind in the scene. Yeah. The thing that throws you off is when you see veteran teams who've played with each other for years. I played with Bob Dassey for twenty years. I can read his mind. He can read my mind. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always know what he's going for. <laughs> you yeah. know, I've seen every you know trick that he has. He's seen every trick that I have. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, just getting specific early on will really help. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's interesting because it it's it's hard. It is it is very hard to uh, I think sit on the stage. It, it's easier. It's like it's easier in class and it's easier in practice. Uh, but to sit on the stage and let a scene build is really hard. I did. Yes. I did a workshop with Neil Gargulio. Do you know how to say his name? Gargulio. Gargulio. Uh -huh. I did. I did a little workshop with him in the L.A improv festival and his whole thing was about like doing like keeping it really real and doing these like really uh serious i guess scenes to start uh, and he goes and then like in a minute in then turn on the commentary then look for the the joke but just 
or, or whatever. I, guess, I don't know how to describe exactly what I said, but like we just we spent a minute doing like these serious scenes about like going to. I, and, and I remember it worked really well. I did a, a scene with this, this woman uh, I'd never met before, and we did a really serious scene about we're going to the therapist and like you know we're really trying to work on a relationship and we're very sentimental. Uh, and then I turned out to be this crazy abusive person, <laughs> and it just turned out it turned out this really great thing. And that and, and I, I remember thinking like I love this and I can't believe how well that worked and it was fun uh, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but. Also, at the same time, I'm like, I'll never be able to pull that off on a show. <laughs> at, least, at least not right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on your audience. It depends on your fellow players. It depends on the format that you're working in. Yeah. Um, but that sounds to me is just like establishing a reality first. Like, ground exactly. the scene in a reality yeah. and then pepper in that unusual thing um, later in the scene. Uh, and you've got your basis of reality that you're working off of. Right. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I... I I keep on, like with a lot of teams, I keep on trying to suggest, like, let's do mom scenes or something, uh, because I think that's something I definitely want to work on, is just to like, yeah. <laughs> allow yourself to relax into uh, getting to the thing. I uh, also recommend when, you know, one problem with kind of premise-based improv, um, whether it's a Herald or whether it's Armando, where, where you're starting, you know, with the initiation contains the premise or the game. Yeah. Uh, is that I think a lot of times people, they've got their idea. Yeah. They know what from the source material that they want to pull from. They know what they think is funny about it. They haven't taken the extra mile to translate it into two people in a place doing a thing. Yes. So the initiations kind of feel like, hey, I was, uh, was kicking around this comedy premise. Uh, what would you think if you uh, did something with this comedy premise with me? So I think... Yeah. Uh, you've got to find a way of just like uh, you're Ted, you're a guy who works in my office, I'm your manager, you mm -hmm. know, somehow not only convey the premise, but also the reality that it's grounded in. Yeah. Walk, walking. If you're going to, yeah, if you're doing that, you still, it's a, it's an artful skill to be able to walk somebody into a, a premise in that first line. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. It's really tough. And I, I, not too long ago, I saw it was at a jam. It was an improv jam, and it somebody had this whole thing about how somebody was too lazy to do the training for something, and it was really kind of a funny story they told. Uh, and then they, and then somebody initiated like, "All right, we're ready to sign you up for the police academy," <laughs> and uh, and she's like, "All right, let's do it." And it's like, and he was like, he, "Did you saw his face?" He's like, "Okay, you sure? Because we're gonna, I'm gonna sign up for the police academy." She's like, "Yeah, I'm ready." <laughs> <laughs> okay, because it's gonna be like eight weeks, and then and then I remember I remember I seen her head cl clicked in her head. She's like. Oh wait! Yeah. I don't want to do, it. and it's like that's so. It was such a clunky start, and it's uh, you know whatever. It's, it's not like uh, screw them; they did it wrong. But that, sure. that is a that's one of those things. If you're gonna if you're gonna try to get somebody <laughs> into a premise, you need to you need to hold their hand there. Yeah, I mean, if you just rephrase it of like uh, wait. You've wanted to be a cop your entire life. Now you don't want to sign up for the police academy. You right. know, like yeah. it's just rephrasing in a way to let them know. You know, don't expect that they're going to get the behavior that they're supposed to uh, display in your yeah. premise. You know, tell them what behavior you need from them, and they'll do it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that, and uh, yeah, that also that also sort of plays, I think, a little bit to the more. I don't know if this is so UCB, but I always think if it is, uh, it's like that being like natural or neutral thing in scenes, like kind of just, uh, yeah, you're more likely to be yourself, I feel like, in a scene at UCB than you are anywhere else. Um, and so, yeah, like if you're like, oh, you're going to sign up for something, like, yeah, of course I am. <laughs> Let's do it. Like, and, it and that, and that uh, I don't know, I think that's, 
Okay, let's talk, then let's talk about character. I'm just going to okay. hold me real quick switch over yeah. to character in this clunky way. Um, so I think I, I feel like character is important to you. It's very important to me. And you mentioned playing yourself. I never do that. <laughs> okay, good. Because I have a question about that. Because uh, I feel like you people, you play, okay, you play yourself, but you play yourself as a character, I feel like. I feel like that's the. I think that's the difference because I don't mm-hmm. believe that you're never a guy like Craig. No, uh, so, uh, sometimes I will be a guy who's around my age who sounds like me and looks like me, <laughs> but it's a, but it's still a character. Yeah, you know, the last thing I want to do is feel like Craig in a scene because first of all, I'm Craig 23 hours a day, so the one time I'm on stage. Uh, there's nothing less interesting to me than, yeah. than being Craig. And even the most complex comic character is way simpler than people are in life. So you've got to pick a filter. you know. So it, if I'm Craig, over the course of my daily life, I might be angry at different times. I might be happy at different times. I might be high status in some situations. I might be low status in some situations. Uh, you know, my mood and my emotions change and my status changes depending on uh, who I'm interacting with and what kind of situation it is. But a comic character uh, is pretty much going to be the same in any situation. That, that's what makes them a comic character. It's fixed behavior despite the circumstances. Yeah. So uh, even if it is very similar to Craig, I'm emphasizing one part of my personality and basing the character around that right. somehow. So like for the needs of this scene, uh, I'm kind of like Craig except more gullible than Craig would be. So the gullibility is what's driving the game of that character mm-hmm. then. Uh, that is interesting because yeah, maybe maybe that's that's uh, that's great. I'm gonna use that uh, because yeah, I, f- I feel like a lot of I feel like I'm getting. Sp- I I was always very reluctant to do characters maybe because uh, I I felt clever and funny and I could mm-hmm. get away with it. Uh, now I feel like I'm doing characters more because uh, because I'm finding good ways to filter and like oh I know I can just I can keep on fueling this because I sort of know what this crazy person is. Um, but then, but yeah, playing, cause sometimes you are just like yourself or it'd be weird to be like, <clears throat> I'm this guy, like, you know, nobody, that does, yeah. they don't need to see that every time. I like to use Bill Murray as an example and Bill Murray, uh, apparently takes a quote from Dell very seriously, which is where your character, like a thin veil. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's something that was kind of, uh, ingrained into people from that era, which is like, you know, don't. Don't do characters. Play yourself. Yeah. Um, and I think Bill Murray is always recognizably Bill Murray. Like, you wouldn't mistake him from anybody else. Yeah. Uh, but with only a couple of exceptions uh, where he's maybe done a really, you know, I, I guess, you know, Caddyshack early in his career. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, or uh, when he was in Ed Wood and he was more... Uh, flamingly gay but even then it's like that's Bill Murray being flamingly gay yeah (laughs) you know Uh, but I will say that I think he is such a good actor that it's recognizably Bill Murray and it's also recognizably the character at the same time it's not just Bill Murray being Bill Murray he's also being the character uh, and he's serving the needs of that particular script or story Um, as opposed to somebody like Dustin Hoffman who's going to wear a lot of you know prosthetics or whatever and try to just immerse himself into you know uh totally changing his personality and behavior and voice and walk mm-hmm. uh, to fit the character. So I think there, there's different approaches to improv just as there are to acting. Yeah, that's... Um, so, uh, yeah, so I feel like the nuance... 
the nuance of that, maybe that's what it is, is like, it kind of goes, I think it goes back maybe to the vagaries thing. It's like the nuance of you, you or me uh, just being yourself is that uh, I feel a lot of different ways about a lot of different things all yeah. the time. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so yeah, if somebody says something to me about the, going to the police academy, I'm likely to just be like, yeah, or, or and I could probably just as easily flip on it and be like, no, I don't want to do that. Or I never really want to be a cop or, you know, there's, there's, a, there's enough, there's enough uh, points in my personality that, or my life experience that I could kind of go a lot of ways with it. And that, and that kind of leads to, uh, yeah, not following a pattern or specific or anything. You're just like, all right, let's see what happens. Yeah. It's like pick a face of Steven and just go with that yeah. then. Uh, I had this conversation with a student last term who had said, you know, I've always been told react how you would react, you know, mm-hmm. particularly if you're playing the straight man and somebody else is more of the absurd character. And yeah. I think uh, teachers who are telling people to do that are doing a disservice to the improviser. Mm-hmm. Um, react how you would react. You have to react how the character would react. Uh, and I think reacting how you would react produces, you know, uh, you know, another one, one of my big things is choosing to know, which is coming from expertise uh, and familiarity all the time rather than like, oh, my God, this is weird. You know, just uh, having the character process it as the improviser is processing yeah. it. Um, so I think reacting like you would react leads to a lot of kind of blank slate scenes where you're just kind of. Uh, you're just calling out or reacting to the stuff rather than being a writer of the scene and being somebody who's able to advance the scene through adding information constantly. Uh, But I think even if you're playing the straight man, you need to know how you're playing the straight man in this particular reality. Uh, And I think it leads to scenes that are too excessively logical uh, in our world. Um, You're following the logic of our world rather than you know, just like uh, the dinosaur, you know, works in the office scene. Yeah. Of like, okay, that ha- can't happen in our world, so we need to create a world in which that is possible. Yeah. And we can even say, in all other ways, other than the fact that dinosaurs work in offices, this yeah. world is the same as our world. Right. But there is this one key difference. Right. <laughs> and so you just have to adjust your brain in that way to adjust to that reality and play the reality of that character then rather than just react how... If, if I worked in an office and walked in and a dinosaur was there, I'd probably run screaming. You know, will that help the scene? <laughs> probably not. You know, yeah. of like, I want to be the guy who's the matter of fact guy. I've worked along this dinosaur for three months now. You know, um, he's, he's a little annoying, but, yeah. uh, but he gets his work done on time, you know, and that's, and that, yeah, and, that, and that's a whole, yeah. And that's a, a, a digestible and uh, helpful way to, handle that scene. I, I uh, think so. Even and, and even that's like kind of, yeah, like you said, like that's sort of yourself, but you're kind of filtering it in a way. Um, I did, I feel like, yeah, okay, this is really a click of it. I did a straight man scene. I'm loving this. Because I, I did a straight, I did a scene where I was a straight man uh, uh, where, uh, like, we were at a wedding and I was, I was a third groomsman and she was a third bridesmaid. I was just trying to introduce myself to her so it wasn't awkward when we had to walk down the aisle together. Uh, and she, she chose to do, be like a really weird character. And the whole time I was just straight manning it and it felt really great. Uh, and it was like, oh, I feel like I'm being myself. But it, what it was was I was just filtering it all through. I was just trying to make this not awkward. Like yeah. a, a re, a, maybe a simple, like an agenda or an attitude are, the, are those things that will maybe carry it. If it's like, if you're going to be yourself, you got to have something there. And I think another important thing in that type of scene is that any weirdness or negativity or 
creeped outness your character would have has to all be in subtext. Yeah. Because for this day, oh, yeah. I need to get along with this bridesmaid who I'm paired up with for this wedding. It's five hours of my life and then I can move beyond it. So this right. is the type of thing we do in life all the time. Right. Um, but at improv, uh, the improviser wants to state their subtext all the time. You know, the character doesn't have to know everything that the writer knows. You know, the writer knows that the comedy of the scene is coming from this girl being weird. Yeah. The character doesn't have to say that this girl is being weird. Yeah. The improviser has to find other ways to help her be more weird. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I remember that too. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going, you're crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's the other thing. That, that's the other thing too is, uh, you, you, sorry, going back, going back to that thing you said, choosing to know stuff. Uh, nothing, nothing frustrates me more than watching improv. But one of those things I sort of a little pet peeve of mine is when people uh, they're dealing with a crazy character and being the straight man, uh, and they're and they're, they do responses like, "Why did we come to this crazy restaurant?" or "Why are we married?" And it's like you have to know somebody made that choice. You you made the choice to marry this person. And if they're yeah. acting different, you and you just like suddenly like, "Why did I marry?" You? Well. Well, shit, man. Like, what am I watching? Yeah. Well, that's what you ask yourself in your head. Right. <laughs> you don't vocalize it out loud. Yeah. Ask yourself in your head, why am I married to this person? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, that's actually a good thing. Uh, I really feel like there should be some level of love in every scene. Yeah. <laughs> so of like, my wife in this scene is a fucking freak. Yeah. However, I also love her and I want to be married to her. Yeah. And then that gives you something interesting to play then, yeah. which means you have to find out how your character deals with it on a daily basis as opposed to just questioning it or calling it out. Yeah, that becomes a, that becomes an immediate comedic struggle of like trying to deal with a crazy person but also trying to, I don't know, uh, make her happy. You know, that, that's, yeah. that's tough. It's uh, like finding your motivation as an actor. If you were an actor and you got this script and you were just shown this script and this is how the characters are behaving, you'd be like, wow, that's really weird. Yeah. How would a person get to that point where they would be behaving that way? I've got to go into the backstory of the character and find the motivation. Uh, so that's how an actor would approach it. As an improviser, you need to kind of approach it the same way of like, well, I've said and done this. She's said and done this. This must mean this about me. You know, and... You know, you've got to find the justification for why your character puts up with it somehow. You know, maybe yeah. you're a meek and lower status character than her and you allow her to, you know, walk all over you, you yeah. know. So you, you've got to find the way to do it. I like it. All right. Looking for something to pick apart there. No, I don't have anything. <laughs> I'll move on. Um, uh, one of the other things you said uh, in, this cla- in the class that I, I wrote it down, but I didn't get it. Uh, pro- problem solving is comedy elimination. Now I sort of get that um, when you you're like, ah, oh, there's bees everywhere, and you're like, oh, we'll just use the bee killer. It's like, well, now we're just not yeah. going to play. But also, I think there's like the uh, sort of the antithesis of that thought is the things like uh, if you're about to jump out of an airplane, just jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, so if, if problem solving is comedy elimination, then isn't like problem building sometimes comedy deferment? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I mean, you look. You look. You're, you're just, you look like you're like. Mm, I don't know. I don't know what this guy's saying. <laughs> I've been doing it for 23 years. I don't deserve this bullshit. <laughs> you're trying to twist my words around. No, I don't think I am. But it, turn it, my logic. Because uh, it, it is. It, I think there's an interesting uh, juxtaposition there. Because sometimes, yeah. Because yeah, sometimes, like, I feel like I've been in scenes and you're like, oh, he's building up problems. Like, let's just like find and fix a couple of them and like slow it down. 
yeah. and do and maybe do one or something like that. I don't know. Well, it, it I guess we have to define some terms then. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess Get you know the dictionary. When I say uh, problem solving is comedy elimination, I think what I mean is when people take the thing that's unusual or extreme uh, about the scene of like, so let's say one character is ha- you know displaying some weird or extreme behavior. Um, I think it's a natural human thing to want to eliminate danger or risk or unusualness in our yeah, life. We want to stay safe. Yeah. So like the natural human response is to n- negotiate that person out of their weird behavior somehow. Yeah. But th- if that's the one thing the scene is based on, that's the one thing the audience is enjoying. So it's kind of like saying, hey, this one thing you're doing that everybody's laughing at, what if you weren't doing it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that's what I mean by you're eliminating the comedy in the scene when you're, you're trying to, you know, uh, get rid of that thing that everybody's enjoying. Yeah. And so your job then actually, if you're more of the straight man is to help fuel that person and to give them more stuff to react to, to add more action to the scene, to give them as many opportunities to display this weird behavior as possible. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think I maybe know what you're getting at with uh, problem building um, which is when people start to kind of like brainstorm uh, or just to list things. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's sort of like it's sort of like when an, like an arbitrary problem comes up. It's, it's I think that's one of those. That maybe the opposite of it is when you're like, oh, we're not going to start the scene, or like we can't open the door. Uh, you know? <laughs> like you're like, really, we're not going to go out of the house because we can't open the door. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a different sort of thing, which is yeah, imp- improvisers thing. creating just roadblocks to the scene because they're worried about, well, what's going to, you know, we're not supposed to leave the stage or something, so we can't yeah. walk out a door in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that just shows people's lack of imagination and fear of, wait a minute, I haven't worked out in my head already what would happen if my characters did this action. You know, so. Uh, another thing I say is the needs of the scene have to trump the needs of the character. Um, so ultimately, you always have to say yes to action. You've got to find the motivation which allows yourself to do so. Yeah. So let's say, you know, talking about jumping out of an airplane, sure. if your character is the most like agoraphobic um, scared character in the world, they probably would not want to jump out of an airplane. But what does the audience want to see? The audience wants to see action. Of course. You know, they want to see this guy who'd be the last guy who wants to jump out of an airplane, jump out of an airplane. Yeah, that's the promise of the scene. Yeah. So you've got to find the way that you're going to deliver on that somehow, yeah. you know? And I think I would not waste it. And I, I do recognize if we'd set up the character that way, it does feel phony to be like, okay, I'll jump. You know, yeah. there's got to be just enough resistance for it to be believable, yeah. but there can't be so much resistance <laughs> that that point of view wins out and it eliminates the action from the scene. So, yeah. uh, so that's a tough type of scene to do, it I is. think. But yeah. generally, if you get into the mindset of just saying yes to possibility and saying yes to action right away, you'll be in less of those types of scenes, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think I heard, I heard, a, uh, heard Joe Wangert say that there, he had a, he knew a quote from Ian Roberts that was falsely attributed to him. So I don't, so whatever, <laughs> but it was that you can say, you can say no to something once. Cause yeah, you, cause yeah, sometimes it's unreasonable to go, I'm going to go into this haunted house. Or I'm going to jump out of this plane. This, yeah. But more than that, you're just like, well, we get it. You don't want to. Uh, get get going. Let's see some funny stuff now. Yeah. Clown. 
That sounds like uh, something that Ian might say or something that would be tied in with his philosophy. I remember right. seeing uh, Neil Flynn being interviewed about improv once. And, uh, and it was interesting because he totally comes at it from an actor's background. I was in classes with Dell, with Neil. And I think the only real improv instruction he had was from Dell. Um, so he, and he's not somebody who did tons of rehearsing and um, classes. You know, he just learned a lot about it for just from practical experience of being on stage and from being a great actor. And he's like, I think that yes, but is okay, or or no and is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the example that he gave uh, was if somebody starts a scene and says, okay, get in this lion cage. Um, it's ridiculous to immediately say, great, I'll get in this lion cage. I'm right. like, you've got to resist that enough for it to be believable. However, you know as an actor that the end, by the end of the scene, you will be in the lion cage. Right. You've got to figure out the process that gets you in there right. <laughs> somehow. So ultimately, you know that you're going to say yes to action. You're also going to be true enough to the character to make it believable, uh, the process of getting you in there. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can I pick this one apart more? <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Uh, how about, okay. Uh, I'm just, I love that I feel like I'm just reading quotes back to you, and I was about to do another one, and I just feel like a jerk uh, for doing it. But I'm going to do it anyway. Let's do it. Uh, you have the luxury of playing with people you love, or do I choose to love the people I play with? You see what I did there? Uh, it was very funny. Uh, but I, it, it, I thought that was interesting. Uh, because I do like some of the people I play with, and sometimes I feel like I don't like the people I play with. Mm-hmm. Or uh, worse, I feel like I've. I feel like I. I feel like I. Oh, what is it? I feel like I understand improv, and I don't. But I feel like I do. So what I what I've created in my world is uh, a series of right and wrongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I feel like I'm sometimes working with somebody who's hitting more wrongs than rights, uh, I feel like like shitty and like judgy and like I'm gonna. Often what I do is like I'll just like, okay, well, I know how to find something funny in the scene. I'm going to hit the gas on this, and uh, hopefully you'll come along. If not, whatever. I'm yeah. going to find laughs out of it. Uh, is that – I mean, is that – I don't know. Let's talk about that. Lack I think that's a, thing. a natural part of the progression of any improviser, and I totally was that guy. Um, I directed my college troupe. Uh, which would be my second year of doing improv. Like, I only was in the troupe for two years. My second year, I directed it. And I'd never had a formal improv class in my life. You know, we were just... And there was no truth in comedy written at that time. There was no internet to learn about improv. It literally was just... Were there podcasts? Tribal. There were were several podcasts (laughs) at the time. um, Mostly on AM radio. Um... But I remember storming out of rehearsals when people wouldn't improvise the way I wanted to. I was like just behaving like a dick. Ah. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's normal that you have your do's and don'ts of how improv is supposed to go. And uh, you're, you're always noticing it then. And you're trying to compartmentalize people's behavior. And of like it's got to be like it's got to be the correct improv behavior. Yeah. Um, or, or you'll, yeah, I'll find myself in the scene sometimes going like, oh, no, you put us in a weird spot. I'm going to put us in not this weird spot. Like it, like try to fix other people's moves yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Like it, you know, yeah, you know, what that is. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, and the first couple of years that I worked for second city, like I was, I had never trained at second city. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was an IO guy, so I was kind of snobbish about improv, and like we were the ones who do it for the arts, you know. Oh, okay. uh, and so, but Second City is going to be a grab bag of people with different backgrounds, uh, many of whom have not studied at IO. Some come from more of a stand-up background, uh, or had only studied Second City, or they'd done short form, or they came from Detroit or Toronto. Um, and it's also like that's a professional job of like you're an equity actor being paid to do this so you know you've got to kind of like suck it up and like do the job as well but I remember walking out of sets a few times at Second City because I wasn't happy with how the improv went or I thought it was thought it was hacky or I thought it was pandering or whatever or that people were selling me out for jokes or stuff like that and uh, I remember being on the main stage uh, of Second City in Chicago and um, there was a guy that I'd done a few shows with at this point, a guy who I was buddies with. I liked him a lot personally. He was not an IO trained improviser, um, and so he just didn't do improv in the way that I like it to be done. Sure. And I think it just got to the point where uh, I was being so frustrated improvising with this guy that I was like, you know, maybe it's my problem. Yeah. Maybe I need to just stop judging him and just find a way to have fun with him in the scene. Mm-hmm. And I think once I made that adjustment, we had incredible scenes all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think I realized eventually it was just a barrier that I'd set up yeah. um, where I was just predisposed to judge this guy's move and to judge this guy's improv rather than like make him look great, yeah. you know, and, and find a way to have fun with him. Yeah. Um, find, yeah. Finding the value of your partner uh, is is uh, so helpful, yeah. and and weirdly, I feel like uh, I learned that lesson, or I, or it clicked in my head was when I did a solo improv exercise where we did Harold. We did Her- I did a Harold like mostly by myself, uh, and but I played multiple characters, and and I remember uh, what I thought about it was like, oh, every line that I'm saying to my, my other character self, I have to use the hell out of it because there's nothing else. I can't, <laughs> I can't like judge my, or I can't like sell out my lines or try to push an agenda. That already, I already said it. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was such a, I thought that was such a, one, a weird way to like go like, oh yeah, my partner's super helpful. But yeah, like when you, when you cling to your partner's uh, offers and words <laughs> and all that stuff, like a, like a desperately, like a life raft. Uh, it's become so absolutely so powerful. <laughs> yeah, your partner's words are your raw material that you're going to turn into comedy. Right. Uh, everything else is just shit that you cooked up in your head. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's like the people who waste their time being like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that because the scene was going to go this perfect way in my head. Yeah. Of like, yeah, maybe it was, you know, but they actually said and did this. Yeah. Can you show the audience that you can react off of what they actually did and said? Yeah. And it's up to the coach or teacher to director after the show analyze the quality of moves right. you know but it's not up to the player while it's happening to address the quality of moves yeah and i think you know you mentioned improv auditions uh when people are in that correctness phase of improv or that judgy phase of improv uh, auditions can be really hard for them because sometimes you have to go up with nightmare people, you know. Oh, yeah. And if you are kind of like, and trust that the the auditors know improv, yeah. and they recognize that this person you're up with is is doing nothing yeah. helpful. What we want to see is can you make them look good despite yeah. the fact that they're a complete nut who knows nothing about improv, right? Um, 
to drop a couple names uh, at Second City, uh, <laughs> both uh, Tina Fey and Jason Sudeikis got into Second City because they had their audition scene was with the worst possible person yeah. up there. And all they did was react to them, validate their ideas, uh, react organically to what that person really said and did, as opposed to this perfect scene that you'd had in yeah. your head. Yeah, um, a couple of some of my favorite scenes recently were with people who uh, I, I perceived as, and I think it was also perceived as, some of the worst people uh, in, a, in a room or whatever. Uh, and it was like, oh, I'm still following this thing and using what they said and putting jokes in there and setting them up to kind of do their own thing, even if they stumble into it. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I remember uh, getting a ton of laughs off of this, this scene that I did, and it was like... I was just kicking ass with this this dude who wasn't necessarily great, and uh, and it's like yeah that is, that shows a lot more skill than the the kind of uh, the, the shitty thing that I I admit to do often is going just like you don't I can't do a scene with you you're not as talented as I am. Uh, and if yeah, you show work. the audience that judginess, yeah. then you know you'll just look like a dick. You yeah. know, uh, like we think that like rolling our eyes or or kind of like pleading to the audience of like, come on, like you can see they're not doing it right, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. that somehow that's going to endear us to the yeah, audience, you know, or just calling it out, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, I think the audience enjoys the improv where you're just really using everything that's like said and done right in front of you because then they get to feel like they were a collaborator in that too of like I did think that was weird when that guy said that and yeah. you totally used it and justified it and made something out of it so they feel like they got to see the magic unfold in front of their eyes yeah. when you cook up shit in your head it might be funny and it might be clever but the audience recognizes the difference they're like okay he just cooked up that shit in his yeah. head yeah, and that, and that sort of yeah, and that sort of goes back to that being greedy thing and like just trying to get your own laughs. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I remember I did I did one scene not too long ago and it was like a long form show uh, and somebody had shot uh, guns up in the air, bullets up in the air, uh, and I just kind of I was like, and I just made this move out. I looked up. And I was like, okay, I set that up that those are going to come back in the show. And, like, this was the first, you know, 10 minutes of the show. I'm like, yeah. these are going to kill a bunch of people. And I was so excited. Uh, and then, like, 30 seconds later, somebody just did it. And I was like, I was on the, somebody came and rained all the bullets down that they'd been shot up. And I was like, oh, man, I can't believe you ruined this thing that I did. Like, I was so excited. And I'm like, oh, I'm not paying attention anymore. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm being a bad improviser. <laughs> I think that's that sounds like something that I uh, would happen to me a lot in the uh, early years of improv, um, and I think ultimately you know, it's it's about patience and knowing of like okay this is a perfect thing to bring back at the end of the show yeah. you know and I think a lot of times the people recognize that as like a herald player sometimes it's like oh this would be perfect to do in two minutes. But I don't trust that the rest of the group, yeah. you know, somebody else is going to beat me to it if I don't do it now. Yeah. So you do it too early out of panic, yeah. I think. Um, you know, I've got the luxury in Dasarisky and Quartet of knowing that we're going long and knowing that I totally trust all these players and that there's some things we're just going to bookmark and save for the end of the show and then pay all those things off at the end, yeah. you know. Uh, and it's just a trust thing. Yeah. And uh, ooh, maybe that's the hardest thing of all, <laughs> learning to trust others and yourself. Uh, oh, yeah. It's huge. <laughs> huge. Um, uh, the other thing that you talked about was uh, improvement 
getting better in improv and as a plateaus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, you were saying that like that uh, you. Uh, maybe you'll be more elegant. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, your progression in improv doesn't just go kind of like... Linear, uh, up, up, up. Yeah, linear, up. You know, it's not like every day you're a little better than you were the previous day. Mm-hmm. You're on a plateau, and you stay on that plateau for a long-ass time, <laughs> and then you start to dip a little bit. <laughs> and that's yeah. how you know you're about to get better when you really start sucking, yeah. and you're in a slump for a while. And then suddenly you wake up, and you're on the next plateau, and you have no idea how you got there. Yeah. And you stay on that plateau for a long time. You dip a little bit, and then you ascend to the next plateau. Yeah. If you're willing to kind of work through those slumps. Those uh, <laughs> the good thing is that there's an infinite amount of plateaus to ascend to, I think. <laughs> you know, So I, I keep trying to get to that next plateau. And I you know, have moments where, uh, where I'm in a slump, you know couple weeks or sometimes a a month yeah you know where it's like i'm not feeling it of like uh but i it's probably more perceptible to me and the people that i play with a lot than to the audiences because just as somebody who's done it for a while i've got a base level of confidence and comfort up there and hopefully you know i still look kind of like what i know what i'm doing even when i really don't you yeah. know so i think you can fool the audience you know just with skill and craft and, yeah. and comfort after a while um but yeah i think i do have those moments where i feel myself slipping a little bit and then suddenly uh i'll have a couple good shows and all is forgiven and you know yeah. you're, you're at that next level yeah and they, and they stop everybody stops yelling at you at io as they do <laughs> ah craig we don't appreciate you because you're a bad show um, and my my wife is actually the best judge because she has seen me do hundreds of shows, yeah. and I always will ask for an honest assessment, you know, <laughs> yeah. after each show. So when I get of oh. like that was great from her, I really appreciate it. Yeah. You know, this one's a real compliment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's funny. Um, so okay, so last I guess the last few things. Your your teacher at IL, we teach uh, level four IL West. Um, and uh, I don't know. I I've heard things like, "Oh, level four at IO is basically all designed by you, and you teach uh, all, if not the majority of them." Uh, so, so well, one is that true, and, and two, if so, why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a weird kind of uh, evolution that got us there. Um, we had a six-level program, I think, or a five-level program. Uh, anyway, they created an extra level for Miles Stroth to teach mm-hmm. and called it 5B. And so I, so I guess that must have been a six-level program, and then 5B was slotted between five and six. So, uh, And then Miles left that after about a year of teaching that, and so... They couldn't go then back to the number of levels they had and pretend there was never a five B. So now it's like, well, we've added this extra level. We've got to make this part of the curriculum now. Yeah. And I guess Miles taught what he taught when he did it, and so when they had me take over five B, they're like, you can teach whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, I had been doing this workshop periodically called Doctor Khaki's Improv Cleansing, Mm -hmm. and that's where I started the thing of uh, doing personalized notes for people. Yeah. So uh, each week I would send them a breakdown the exercises we did and kind of like what I feel are the takeaways from those exercises. And I would send each improviser, uh, usually, you know, like something, uh, something positive. I think they were doing well and maybe two or three bits of constructive criticism. Um, 
And uh, at first I would tape the classes when I was doing Dr. Khaki's improv cleansing and I would go back and watch three hours of class. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, uh, eventually that got to be too time consuming and I got better and better just kind of recognizing people's tendencies just in the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that was the stuff that I really liked teaching, uh, kind of like advanced scene work, just really helping people with their two person scenes, uh, and giving them an, a lot of personal feedback along the way. So they would kind of check in with me, uh, as they're going through the term. And so that became my five B class. And when they reshuffled the levels, they decided to, uh, eliminate Harold from the early levels mm -hmm. and just make Harold levels five, six, seven. Right. So level four was kind of like the advanced scene work level where like all right you've uh, you've learned the basics you've done some scenes uh here's the hurdle that you kind of have to get over before you can move on to Harold. Uh, right. Are you always pretty much comfortable when you go out there to do a two-person scene? Yeah. Not necessarily do you feel like you're going to knock it out of the park, but do you feel pretty comfortable about doing a two-person scene? Because you're not going to get as many notes on your scene work as you get into Harold and other long forms. Right. I think I was thinking about the the personal feedback and then what that because yeah I guess if, if you're kind of like uh, being a gatekeeper sort of uh, what what it what is it that like you're 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 like watching out for or like me I mean what what to, what to you is sort of like that that separation uh, yeah well the, the main uh I mean, I passed. So you did. Obviously, it's just being at least as good as me. You gotta be as good as Steven. <laughs> Which I have a book about. You can buy it on Amazon, twelve ninety nine. Be as good as Steven. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the thing that I ask people to kind of judge in themselves, first of all, is do you feel comfortable and do you feel confident? And yeah. if you still feel really in your head, uh, and it's interesting of like, most people seem to like my class, but about half the people are like, that was awesome. That was just like the boost that I needed. I feel like excited and energized about improv again. And the other people are like, I really liked your class, but I'm really in my head now. Really? <laughs> you know? So I think it kind of depends on where people are in that plateau of like, do they need that little boost to get them through the slump? Or are they, are they somebody who needs to start thinking about things a little more? You know, sometimes people need to kind of learn of like, this... This is hard. Yeah. You know, it's a hard art form and it's something you really have to work at. And I think for some people it puts them in their head because they realize all these little things that they have to be juggling now. And, and a lot of times those people, either because I asked them to repeat or they chose to repeat, take the class again. And it's so much easier the second time around. So yeah. then they can push through um, that, uh, that headiness. I trust that everyone, when they start the class, is going to say some version of, I'm in my head. But that means different things for different people. So, like, what I'm interested in is, like, what are the voices in your head telling you? Yeah. What lies are they telling you? Yeah. Uh, and that's going to be different for everyone. Um, it was fun coming into your first day of class because, one, I came late and I felt like a jerk. But, two, I started realizing everybody was saying... Uh, I made five minutes late or something. But everybody yeah. was saying, like, what's the thing that they're looking for or they want to work on? Uh, and I was, and, and it came to me, uh, and I said, you know, I, I don't really want to work on anything. I'm just kind of open to getting whatever I get out of the class. Yeah. Uh, and I remember other people looking at me, and I remember like there's a couple of faces, just like, who's this asshole? <laughs> uh, and I think I think that, but it, and, it, and maybe it's because I, 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 you know, I wasn't I necessarily not at like I guess the equivalent of a, a level four thing, like where yeah. yeah, like super in my head, and I just need to know how to like work out scenes when this type of thing happens. Uh, but I think, I think that I think that's funny that like 
like I, I feel like I and this maybe that's I really value your notes but I remember thinking I'm not going to look at these and I'm not going to try to put them into practice what I, what I try to do is sort of like every few months just check in and go like what am I doing am I am I doing this type of thing and like yeah. more recently more like more recently last time I did that I was like oh yeah I kind of I kind of don't commit as much as I could and, uh, and I'm just going to have that in the back of my head now it's like that's, let's make that a goal I think that's good because I think it's the people who have overreacted to the notes that find that each week is constantly frustrating because this yeah. week I said this yeah. and they tried to work on that, but oh, then yeah. of like, then I, but I was asking something different in this particular exercise. Like yeah. the important thing is you're not going to work through five improv notes in this one exercise. Just do the exercise yeah. as the teacher asks you to do it and try to work on that skill set of like, there actually is like... Uh, a design to the class of, you know, there's a build of the exercises uh, of like, we're gradually kind of like acquiring these different skill sets. So it's okay to like focus on one, isolate one improv muscle and then you can suck at 20 other things in the scene yeah. as long as you're doing that one thing that I asked you to do correctly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're exercises and you, at the end of the day, sort of have to kind of just trust that they'll, yeah. they'll work out whatever they're supposed to work out. And, you know, if they don't, they don't, whatever. Uh, yeah, I had Bill, Billy Merritt, uh, who I'm sure you know. He he always in our love four hundred one over there. He was like, just pick a thing, just pick one. Like you've heard plenty of notes, just pick one thing to kind of be thinking about in the next show and see like, oh, maybe I can implement support this way. Uh, and then if that if you do that, great. If you don't do that, that's fine. But as soon as you start trying to fix two things, three things, whatever, oh, yeah. you won't do it. And not only that, you'll pretty much do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree with Billy on that. Isolate one muscle and just kind of concentrate on that. Yeah. The the golf swing analogy is what I, you know, I, I'm terrible at golf, but uh, <laughs> when I did play golf a lot, um, there's like all these different elements that go into the golf swing, yes. which is like you, you take a swing and you're like, oh shit, well, I didn't keep my left arm straight. All right, this time I'll keep my left arm straight, keep my left arm straight. Oh, and I picked up my head. All right, this time I'm going to keep my head down, keep my head down. Uh, and you can't actually do all 40 things that go into the golf swing correct. You just got to take swing after swing after swing yeah. and just get a sense of what a good golf swing feels like. So then your body is just kind of doing it automatically on feel alone. Yeah. And it, it is good to isolate those muscles at different times. If you're really having a problem with keeping your head down, then just keep your head down and then trust that uh, you're probably going to do other things wrong, but at least you did that one thing right. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. So I guess uh, this, uh, this one's going to be tough. Uh, this is going to be maybe a weird question. Well, it, you, 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 you see a lot of students. Uh, you see a lot of improvisers. Mm -hmm. You've been improvising for uh, 23 two years. Two uh, decades and, and, and three. Change. Uh, is that a score? You've been improvising a score uh, and three. Uh, so, so what? I mean, if there's if there's something out there to communicate to students, improvisers, if there, if there's like a simple uh, axiom of truth or something like that, uh, I mean, what is it? I'm curious, just from your perspective, because uh, yeah, you you have a lot of perspective of more than many. So what's like the thing? Oh man, the thing, <laughs> the secret of improv. Yeah. Well. As far as just being on stage, listening is yeah. everything. Uh, listening and observing. Uh, and I think people just get so just focused on their own shit and so worried about themselves that they're missing obvious things that are right there in front of them. Yeah. So I think the, the Zen approach to it is just listen and observe uh, and you're going to be better off than the average guy. Yeah. Um, and as far as just like offstage behavior... Um, 
just uh, just don't freak out and <laughs> just take your time. You know, be patient yeah. with it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the process. I think the more you love it, the okay. more fun it'll be. Yeah. Uh, and it just accept failure as part of the natural rhythms of the art form. Yeah. Uh, okay. And don't get too down on yourself or judgy about yourself or judgy about others as a result of failure. Um, just uh, just enjoy the suck yeah. <laughs> while it happens. And that's hard to say to people. And I'm not sure I always enjoyed the suck in my early moments of, uh, of improv. It's easy from my perspective to be so Zen master about it. But, yeah. you know, that, that's totally what people need to do. And I think it's ultimately <laughs> the people who who love it the most and work hardest at it and just enjoy uh, I think joy is the word. Yeah. You know, like improv should be joyful. Yeah. Whether you're rehearsing it uh, or doing it in front of an audience, it needs to be joyful and playful at all times. So never allow the process of learning it to interfere with your joy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love, I, I like that a lot. One of I got, uh, got heart, heartbroken not, not too long ago, and I was talking to my uncle uh, about it, and he was, and he said, uh, uh, you know, just enjoy having, uh, just enjoy feeling like shit. Like, you're not going to feel like this all the time, man. You gotta, just taking those feelings, feeling. Well, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, it's interesting, great, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I, it's, it's sort of the same thing in improv. Like, uh, there's not, there, there is a very special joy, I think, in, in doing a bad show or like getting caught in it if an audience is not responding to you. I did, did like a 30 minute set where I got literally no laughs with a bunch of friends and we're, we're like I remember we're trying I remember like going like oh they're not liking this type of thing we'll try this type of thing they're not liking it and it was a full audience there's no reason they shouldn't have laughed none of them did and we did 30 minutes and we just kept I kept on leaning into whatever I thought I was doing like good yeah. that's what it feels like that's a that's a feeling Tr <laughs> trust that every person you admire has been through that. Yeah. You know, that they've done the worst shows for no audience, for no laughs, yep. and felt awful about it afterwards, and it made them stronger. So you just have to trust that. It's true. Um, all right, last bit. Classic segment on the show. Pearl of Wisdom. Uh, uh, this one, again, this one. Uh, piece of advice or something, a note or philosophy that you heard that resonated with you that maybe maybe kind of like put some things into perspective and improv for you. Pearl of Wisdom. Um Maybe this can be something that you repeat a lot in class. I don't know. Hmm. It's, I feel like this is tough for people who've been improvising the longest because it's like everybody else. Like I, I've got, I get notes all the time. They're like, damn, this is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, this it, it kind of ties into the listening and observing thing oh, that uh, eye contact. Yeah. Make a lot of eye contact. Uh, you'll get all of the nonverbal communication from your partner, which we're pretty good at in life at picking up on unless you have Asperger's syndrome. Yes. Uh, in life, we're good at reading people's emotions and facial expression and gestures, and you're missing out on most of the communication if you don't make eye contact with your partner. Uh, and similarly, you can also see those moments when you're like, oh, good, my partner has nothing either. We yeah. both look like complete idiots right now. Yeah. And then there's uh, there's kind of a camaraderie in that, you know, to just say, uh, like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, you don't have anything. But I think uh, when we assume that our partner has it all figured out and we're the one idiot who's missing out on stuff, we tend to retreat into our own head and get more and more isolated as the scene goes on. Yeah. And I think if you just allow yourself to stay open and just taking in all that information, uh, you're just going to get so many more ideas about what's happening in the scene. Yeah. Uh, so... Eye contact. I like it. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, you're a master of it because earlier in this podcast, 
uh, you might even remember this, uh, you were in the middle of saying something, and I opened my mouth to start to speak because I, like, I had a thought, and then you just stopped, and you gave me the opportunity to speak. I was like, oh, you just gave me the opportunity to speak. That's so nice. I guess I should say something now. And I added nothing to the conversation, but I appreciate the hell out of you for it. Craig, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Stephen. Really fun. That's super fun. All right, there it was, Improv Obsession with Craig Kikowski. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I did. Anyway, Improv Obsession. Subscribe, rate, and iTunes. Follow the blog, improvobsession.com. Thank you guys for listening. It's Golden Age Improv. Happy improvising. Um, but you know what? I really, I really appreciate you all for listening. Uh, you guys have made this pretty awesome. So stay tuned. More guests to come. Hi, Sex and the City fans. Megan McKeever here. Check out my podcast, Cosmos and the City, where I'll be watching through the entire series of Sex and the City with a slew of fabulous guests. Each week, we'll be talking through everything from who wore what and why to the hottie of the week. So grab a drink and join me on my journey. Thanks, and be sure to subscribe to Cosmos and the City in iTunes or your favorite podcasting app.